Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Jesus, Dietrich, and Me. This is the episode that we have been waiting for, the episode that all the episodes have crescendoed towards, episode number 100. Pastor Hill, you are excited for today, aren't you? I don't know where we're going from here, (laughs) but yes, we finally, I think we've actually did 105, but you won't admit to it. Well, on the, on, on the, uh... What have to we use? Anchor. On Anchor, uh, it says episode number 100. Now, there's been a couple of those two-parters in there and things like that, but now this is episode number 100. And hey, so, if you believe the data, <laughs> but where in your life do you actually believe the data anymore? Well, data never lies to you, Pastor. Ex- yeah, except when it does. <laughs> but go ahead. And we are shot out of a cannon today. So uh, we are going to be going through and finishing uh, this book, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's Meditations on the Psalms, and it couldn't be more appropriate to end the book and celebrate episode number 100 than going with Psalm number 100. And so we will be talking about that. We're going to talk about some word choice. We're going to talk about joy. And of course, we're going to have our follies. And so... Pastor Hill, if you are ready to go, do you have a quality of the week this week? You're torn. I am. There's so many. I mean, I just flick through the news feed and you think, oh my gosh. I don't know whether it's the 96 naked refugees between Greece and Turkey, or is it the drag queen in the grammar school teaching the young people whatever they're trying to teach them, or... What did you just tell Oh, me? that's develop a COVID vaccine (laughs) variant that kills 80% of the experimental animals we use online thinking, why in the name of God would you be doing that? Yes, thank you. Why would you try to be producing a (laughs) more lethal COVID vaccine? Oh, I know, elections are coming. It wasn't the vaccine, it was the, well, it wasn't a vaccine, it was the actual COVID strain variant. Yeah, they added something to it that made it more lethal, and I'm thinking, why? Which is going to come with the vaccine. Well, that'll cause you to have to have more vaccine. Right. That means that we'll have to have more shutdown. I mean, why would you experiment with making something? Who in the world ever worked with the Black Plague to make it more lethal? Right. <laughs> Who are these people and what are they thinking? Yeah, so my question, my question when it came to that was, yeah, number one was why. Uh, number two is how. And number three is who is, who is funding this? And so it, it's, it, is it, it's for now it's contained – but it was contained in Wuhan also, and now that mysteriously leaked. So at what point at what point will this new variant you leak? You trot this information out like nobody is going to say, oh, look, if I do this to the COVID vaccine, I can wipe out America? Could be great. Why would you even go there? Yeah. So you're frustrated. <laughs> I, I just don't understand. I don't understand. Well, maybe this will make you happy. Um my folly this week is a an abortion advertisement that uh, was found. This is Eric Swalwell, uh, who's a U.S. House candidate and from California, of course. And the title of the uh, on the caption of the of the video says, uh, "Republicans want women arrested for having an abortion," and this is what that looks like. And then he proceeds to have a video. And I want to play the audio for the video. I don't, Pastor Hill. You haven't you haven't seen it yet. Um, but I want to play the audio for the video because you can kind of just get a sense for what it is. So the the scene is there's a family at home. There's a family at home. They're enjoying dinner, and it's a it's a mother, a father, a maybe a maybe a six, seven, eight year old girl, 
and maybe a one-year-old child sitting in the booster seat and they get a they see the flashing lights and here come here come the the police officers to come to arrest the mom because she right exactly uh to arrest to arrest the the woman because she had an abortion and so they're now using this as a democrats are using this as a scare tactic to get people to vote on vote yes on all of the the abortion proposals and so i want to just play i want to play the audio for you um, because I think you'll, you'll, it's 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 very dark and it's not it's just not true at all. So here we go. This is the this is the video. You're weird. He is weird, but cute. <laughs> Rose. Mary Anderson. Yes. I have a warrant for your arrest. Arrest for what? Penal code 243 violation. Unlawful termination of a pregnancy. You gotta be kidding me. That That is my personal business. That's for the courts to decide, ma'am. Your medical records have been subpoenaed and Dr. Landry's already in custody. No, my, my God, you, you, you can't just... And you will have to submit to a physical examination. What? By who? No, no, no one's touching her. Sorry, sorry. Why, why? We're just enforcing the law here. Elections have consequences. Vote Democrat on November 8th. Stop Republicans from criminalizing abortion everywhere. Protect women's rights and freedom. Please don't do this. Please. Well, I'm sorry. Here's reality. Ready? This is the FBI. We heard you res- you were demonstrating in front of an abortion clinic. We're here with 20 agents with drawn guns. We're arresting you. This yes. actually happens. Yeah, that actually happens. The other thing is fictional beyond belief. Yes. yes. Oh my gosh. And so a lot of people a lot of people were recording or were taking that video and 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 knocking but no, no that, that's that's what it is though. And so People have been, fortunately, there have been a lot of people that have said, on both sides, have said that this is bogus. This isn't actually the reality. This isn't what anyone wants. But this is just so typical of elections and so typical of of the far left of taking something like that and making it even more than what it is. There's no possible way that if you vote uh, in favor of of banning abortion that this is going to happen. Um, and, and so... It's just, it's just the scare attack. This is what politicians do. It's what government does. It's what they've done for the last two and a half years, using fear to get you to do, do, to do what they want and say, if, this, if you don't want this to happen, if you don't want police officers to come and knock on your doors at any hour of the night and interrupt your family time, then make sure that you vote for Democrats because we're the ones who care for you. What you say? Don't, don't miss and arrest you. Right, right. And, and just it's, it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting yeah. what, what, what is happening. And so... You're more um, likely to hear this. We heard you were Christians and went to church on Sunday. Well, well, you know what? That's that's on its way. That's and on so, its way. That's reality, not yes. the stuff that they yeah. just put on so the we, TV. So we we may be doing episode uh, episode 150 from prison. 
Wouldn't that be something? That'd probably be 120, <laughs> but yes. 120. Wouldn't that be something? That'd be that'd be interesting. So I uh, would actually, in a sick way, welcome that because at least I'd know where I stand. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And uh, and people would know where I wait, stand. Yes. I, well, I think people know. I think people know where we stand. Not till we're tested. Stuff, so. when we're uh, tested, we know. Yeah. So the other thing that I that I will say because this episode is will drop on October. Oh gosh, this is October nineteenth, so October twenty, October twenty first. Usually our episodes drop on a Friday, uh, and so I will say that at this point on our Facebook page, um, and I might actually put it on the on our on our website. Uh, there was an awesome video because uh, if you if you're listening and you're in Michigan and you have questions about Proposal Three, read it. Yeah, make sure you read it. Um, that was that's a not the propaganda. Vote for women's health. Read right. the words. Actually, actually read what what you're going to be voting for. Um, but there's an awesome video that's going to be on our Facebook page, so you can go to the Family of God in Christ Ministries Incorporated on Facebook. It, this video will be on our Facebook page. If it's, well, I hope it will. It could be taken down, I guess. Um, taken but down. it'll be it'll be on the website too. www.fogdetroit.com. A great church. I think it's Grace Lutheran Church in Coopersville, Michigan, produced an awesome video. Uh, about the the different things of Proposal Three that you may not see, and so uh, we are urging. I haven't read. They, you haven't seen. You haven't read. Right, the different parts of it. For instance, uh, they're going to talk about ten year old a ten year old boy being able to sterilize himself and begin uh, his transition to becoming a, a female uh, at age ten without parental consent. Um, girls being able to get abortions without parental consent. Um, you know, those are the kinds of things that we're not that we don't think yeah. about. Those are the kinds of things that this proposal is is taking is is taking on, and so it's really not about rights. So they're going to tell you it's all about rights because you have rights, and and it's actually taking away your freedoms. And so uh, make sure you do that. We are both of us are big advocates of making sure that you're well informed before making a decision, and so. Uh, we are urging you and pleading with you to please uh, take a look at that. And when election comes, if you haven't already put your cast your vote forward, uh, please, 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 please vote no on this upcoming proposal number three. Well, one and two, I guess, by the way. Read what you're voting yes to. Read what you're voting don't, yes to. Don't just buy the it's women's health vote yes. It, right. Read the words. Right. It's not against, it's not women's health. And so there's so many other consequences to all those, to all of this. And. Just make sure you know what you're voting for or voting against. Because what did you say on the way down here? You said that the, this this video that we showed at the at Christ the Savior this morning, it's actually perfect because it actually allows people just to sit with it, and it's a fairly it says, intense video. I didn't know. That leaves you the that leaves you the 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 room wiggle room to say, okay, I'm reading it, I'm okay with it, or I'm reading it with it, I'm not okay with it. Right. The video actually allows you that bit. It doesn't condemn you. It lets it puts it right in your face and says, right. "This is what it says." Right, and, and then so. and then you have to make a choice and say, "Yes, I either agree with this or I don't, or I don't." Yeah. Uh, and from my perspective, uh, from a Christ perspective, as a pastor, as a Christian, as a Christian male, um, and I know that a white Christian male, you you're basically the antichrist if that's who you are. Um, but but as a as a Christian pastor, as a pastor in the Lutheran Church, I would tell you that this bill is satanic, and you should not vote yes for it. So just make sure that you're make sure that you're well informed and uh, and vote no on that. But that'll be on the website coming up, so make sure you go and check that out. I know. If you were to ask yourself, could it go any further? No, they've gone as far as one can go with that bill. There is no more extreme that they could go to. Yeah. 
Well, of course they could. They could say, "Let's they'll kill five-year-olds," but right. yeah, yeah, they'll figure out something. Yeah, yeah. you. They'll give you a trial period with your kid. You decide after three years that you don't want the kid, then you can have him euthanized. That's that's right around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> so today I'm rather sad. Get ready. Okay. I'm rather sad because Monday, Boss's Day, passed, and I don't know <laughs> what I don't know what Tyler did for me other than showing up. I guess I should be thankful <laughs> for that. But I, I, I got, last week I tried oh, to get Oh, you. I'm sorry. He says, I don't do those <laughs> Hallmark holidays. That's what he told me. Damn. No, I said that about, uh, what did I say that about? Sweetest Day. Yeah, it was the <laughs> week right. before. Oh, I'm funny. just teasing. He doesn't have to do anything for me. I think I think both of us showing up is a, is a is a big deal. So yeah, that he's here uh, is all I care about. <laughs> that's that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Boss's day was Monday. I did give you a uh, apple well, fritter a hard from, time? from Blake's while you did that too. What did you give you, me? I brought you an apple fritter. Well, I know I had Blake's. to give it away because you knew I was on a diet. I couldn't possibly eat that but stupid it's, thing. But it's the thought that counts. It's uh-huh. the thought that counts. So. It's like giving an alcoholic a bottle of whiskey. Yep, that's the <laughs> thought that counts. <laughs> I thought about you. I didn't mean any more sugar but oh well that's too funny all right I know. are you ready for some song no. 100 all right we're gonna go i don't care if you're ready we're doing song apparently. 100. um apparently. you want to talk about the the intro here this is interesting in that if he had known doesn't know couldn't possibly have known but if he had known as history tells us this is the last letter he would ever write to his students last letter last thoughts, last encouragement that he would ever write to any of his, um, the uh, internet tells us 150 or less students read this letter. If this was his last word of encouragement, would he have written this about Psalm 100, which says, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Yeah, this is one of the Psalms they call a Psalm of Ascent. Yes. Which means what? Uh, It's one of those... We're headed to the temple, and we're saying this. Going to get married? No. <laughs> no, we're, we're going to be married. Sem- yes, no, 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 it doesn't mean that. Yes, we're going. We're. It's a. There's. Well, there's also a sense of rise. So it's a. It's a joyful hymn. Songs of ascension are typically joyful, and so you're mm-hmm. saying it as you are going to the temple to, to the house of God. Rest, right. To give praise right. to God. Right. Well, when when Bonhoeffer is not going to the house of God, he's actually about to go the other way. Right. To well, prison and worse is, prison, and, but doesn't know that. I mean, he's really on his way to the house of God, right? He's about to die. Well, it actually brings us to the question, what is the house of God? Where is God? Was God with him in Floss, whatever that prison was, Flossenburg? Flossenburg. Was he with him in the prison in Berlin? Sure. Is he only in prison? Is he only God only in prison? No, is God, is God, God only in prison? God only with us in church on Sundays? People tend to find God in prison, so maybe that is Yeah, well, and we we tend to discount that, by the way. Um, so, no, I, where to, to answer that question, where is God? God is where God wants to be found. Uh, God, God also, there's that sense that God hides, right? He hides uh, in plain sight, but he hides. And so... 
oftentimes you have to descend, so to speak, into the darkness to find him because that's where he's at. You have to go to the unexpected places. You have to go to, for instance, you go to the cross. No one would have ever have thought to find Christ at the cross, right? They never would have expected to find God there. So it's it's not just he's in these beautiful places. He is certainly, but he's also in the in the not so good not so good places. And yeah, so, it's kind of the theology of the cross versus the theology of glory. Where do you expect to find God? Right, find God in suffering. Yep, that's what we would say as good Lutherans. Mm-hmm. Not all Lutherans are good, but never mind. Bonhoeffer's uh, Bonhoeffer's adamant about that as well. Or do we find God in glory? The theology of glory. Do we find him in temples and? You know, in the not suffering, when everything is glorious, is that where God is? I would argue with you that you don't really know who God is until you meet him in suffering. Um, but at this point, Bonhoeffer doesn't know how, doesn't yet know the depths of suffering that he's about to face. Yeah. He's still in Tegel prison. He's still entertaining ideas that he's going to be released, all that stuff but it's just going to go south on him really, really quick. Yeah. So you want, to read the introdu- you want me to read the introduction part? All right, so the introduction goes like this. He says, The quietness of the Benedict- Benedictine monastery came to the end in February 1941. Dietrich was now fully working for the Abvir. You want to remind everyone who, what the Abvir is? Uh, it's basically what we would call Defense Intelligence Agency in our country. CIA, right? No, DIA. Oh, DIA. It's the military version of CIA. So they're trying. The DIA, the Abvir, was the military uh, intelligence operation gotcha. trying to yep. figure out what the other guy was doing Good. and influence what the other guy was doing. So he, this gave him valid papers to visit neutral, con- neutral countries and those occupied and controlled by Germany. He made two visits to Switzerland and one to Scandinavia, where together with Helmuth von Moltke, and he stopped the plan, the planned execution of Ivan Burgrav, the Bishop of Oslo. Oslo being maybe Sweden, right? Cap- capital of Sweden. Capital yes. of Sweden. Thank you. And a Lutheran. Thanks, thanks geography. Well, it's Sweden, also Lutheran. Hey, that's that's Sweden, right? Sweden, yes. It's also Sweden was a, a Lutheran state church, so this guy would have been okay. Lutheran. Okay. So he conspired also to rescue several Jews and convey them to Switzerland, which followed directly after the mass transportation of Jews from Berlin on October 16th, 1941. You skipped the word first. First, mass sorry. First mass trans- transportation, so, right. Yes. Then he says that events moved quickly in 1942 after the Japanese bombing of Pearl Harbor and the declaration of war by the United States at the end of 1941. The conspiracy had new hope. Let me put a period there. One of the enigmas of history, sorry, that's who I am, Hmm? is why in the name of God did Hitler declare war on America after Japan bombed Pearl Harbor because he didn't need to do that. When he declared so war on America, that? that allowed America to go to war with Germany. If he had not done that, it would have been a very different outcome to World War II. Yeah. They, the Japanese attacked us. The Germans did not attack us. So why would you say that he did that then? Well, besides because? Hitler's insane, but he had a treaty with the Japanese. Your enemies are my enemies. Okay. Except when sense. it came to the Japanese side of it a little later in the war, they didn't attack the Russians, but never mind. Okay. It was insane. So the end of May of 1942, Dietrich met Bishop Bell in Sweden and discussed the overthrow of Nazi of the, of the Nazi regime from within Germany. He asked Bell to convey to the British government the news that a powerful opposition was in place, able to accomplish this if Britain agreed. 
to an honorable peace treaty, those efforts failed. Yeah, I can't put another period there. Um, the history of the British and later American response to German resistance is we don't care. This is total war. What do we demand from Germany? Absolute surrender. And so supporting a resistance movement that might have uh, might have conditions, we didn't care. We didn't want to be involved with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted absolute surrender. And, of course, the German opposition, as you can see here, would not agree to absolute submission to the U.S. or the English. So, so yeah, they had a chance for peace. We, we chose not to choose that path. Unfortunate. <laughs> well, we don't know, but Septem- that's what we did. So September of – what does Operation 7 to you mean? Where are you at? Uh, at the, near the end there, that second paragraph at the end? It's, this is Bonhoeffer's efforts to um, move a certain select limited number of Jews to safety. Okay. You know, the Jewish today you'll find hmm, hyper-Zionist sites will say Bonhoeffer never did enough, never cared enough never really was for the Jews. And this kind of stuff is tokenism. They may I don't know for sure, but I would bet they were, in quotes, Christians of Jewish descent that he rescued. Therefore, he gets no credit for that as far as the absolute right. Zionists are concerned. Yeah. So th- the point is he made an effort to rescue Jews. Right, and, they were, and in September that operation was successful. There. Right, he got him out of there. But Bonhoeffer's application for permits to visit the Balkans and Switzerland was again refused. And so on November of November 24th, he went to Potzig, German? I don't know for went sure. Went to Potzig? I'm guessing Germany. Went to Potzig to discuss his forthcoming engagement to Maria von Wiedemeyer. We haven't talked about her in a while, have we? Mm, no. Maria von Wiedemeyer, we talked about her. She was uh, she was the she was a young gal. Hey, 16-ish, yeah, right? Yeah, 16-ish, right? He's and, 30, mid-30-ish. Yeah, so maybe a little scandalous, but... For the time, scandalous. For the Not times, today, but right? yeah, today. That's, yeah, for them, scandalous. So he's his forthcoming engagement to Maria. His forthcoming engagement to Maria. A few days later, he wrote a circular letter to his students, the Brethren of the Finkenwald Community. It began with the recognition that many had died, mostly killed in action, Yet his theme was Psalm 100, not the most obvious psalm to use in a letter headed with a list of those killed in action. The ones who died, but we don't have the context, but he's listing the ones who have died since the last letter. Yeah. And so he's listing a whole bunch of people that had died since his uh, last letter. Wilda, Wilda Brandenburg, Schroeder, Linker, Schutz, Rode. Vile, Anish, and then he says he, he's naming them, but there had been many more of his students have already yeah. drafted, sometimes chaplains sent into the war, died. Yeah, and so these are the these are the students of the underground seminary, right? So these are the these are the students that he had collect collected. Is that the right word? Assembled. Assembled, maybe. Um, yeah. And because, trained. Right, because he was trying to assemble, you know, assemble get warriors together for for what they were going to be facing, and so. Um, you know, these this is these are the guys that he was with when he wrote Life Together. These are the guys that he was with when he wrote Cost of Discipleship. These are the guys that that he was with a good a number of to- a good amount of time that he would have been built some really good relationship relationships with. This is where his relationship with Eberhard Bethke began, right? Hmm. He was one of his students. We've read in the past he's in Italy in the war at this point. Right. 
So everybody that he's poured his life into is off in the war, many of them dead. Right. So instead of being the heroic pastors saving the Lutheran Church in Germany, they're on the front lines dying. So he writes this letter. Remember Psalm eleven, or sorry, so remember Psalm one hundred, the Psalm of ascent, a Psalm of joy, and he writes this letter Advent Sunday, nineteen forty-two. So this is he hasn't he hasn't been arrested yet. Or you know he's in prison. He's, right? in, he was, prison, he's in prison, but he's in Berlin he's, prison. Right, he's in Berlin prison. So so he writes this to the brethren at Fink. Finkenwald. He says, Dear Brethren. Brothers that he had at Finkenwald are now everywhere. Right, they're everywhere, but he's writing it yeah. to the brothers from Finkenwald, yeah. of Finkenwald. I'm sorry. I said letter of, I said letter at, and I meant letter oh, of. So, so. <laughs> They're scattered everywhere is the point he's yes. writing to them. So he says, At the beginning of this letter, which is to awaken you to the right kind of joy in serious times, we must list those who have been killed. Right, so we talked about this. We must list those who have been killed since the last time that I wrote. And then he names... Uh, the last names, Wild, Bradenburg, Schroeder, Lenker, Schultz, Rode, uh, Viol, uh, Anash, uh, to name the brethren. But also in addition, uh, well known to many of you, we must name Major Major von Wiedemeyer and his oldest son, Max, whom I prepared to come, I prepared some time ago for confirmation. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. We shall not begrudge them that indeed sometimes in the stillness we shall not envy them. From the earliest times in the Christian church, asadia, sorrow of the heart, resignation, he writes, has been one of the deadly sins. And so the psalmist bids us to serve the Lord with gladness. You want to talk about that word, asadia? It can mean, it's a range of meanings. Apathy, okay, laziness, um, defeatist, we're... They're winning. We're just going to hold back and wait for the rescue. We're, we're the guys in the wagon train waiting for the cavalry to come. Uh, we're not doing anything, but we're hoping they're going to come in time to save us. Not active, but passive. I think that's maybe what I'm trying to You are passively engaged in God's warfare for his church. You're just um, taking the blows, but you're not actively engaged in the conflict. So he calls it a, a major sin, actually. Yeah. I don't know if it's not one of the deadly sins, but you could say I mean, it's, I feel it like is it's, close to it. Yeah, you, you had mentioned, you would compared this to apathy. Yeah, apathy. Um, and so I started thinking about, so. This pastor's conference, I'm sorry, I'm gonna go to jail now. <laughs> I came away wondering why I'm even trying. It, made, it filled me with a sense of, I'm sorry, apathy. Watching what our other brothers, mm, some of them, Christ some are, of them, some, not all of them, some of them. They are not wholeheartedly. Many are not wholeheartedly engaged in the combat. They're and just so kind of there. And they're think, there, and I think that some of that. That's, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that there is a sense of, well, why, why try? I mean, we so we got we do. We've already lost. Right. So we had a sense of this. So one of the speakers was a professor from the Concordia Seminary, St. Louis. Uh, this is a guy. This is a guy who. It's always funny when you hear when you hear people complain, especially some of these some of these guys. They they complain about other pastors who have, like me, who have obsessive personalities. Who once you discover a theologian or you discover someone and you just consume everything that they've written. So, uh, you know, these guys are making fun of, of making fun of me because I was excited that Rod Dreher, who is the speaker or the author of one of my favorite books, uh, "Live Not by Lies." 
uh, they're making fun of me because I'm like, oh, I, I'm so excited that Rod Dreher is here. His book was so good. I can't wait to read some of the other ones, yada, yada, yada. The book changed my life. I read it once. Then I listened to a podcast series about it, and then I listened, read it again, et cetera, et cetera. So excited that Rod Dreher was, was speaking, keeping in mind that Rod Dreher is not a pastor. He is a journalist, and I know that full well. Um, but then, so he speaks for the first four sessions. He speaks all day Monday. And then Joel Beerman st- stands up on, on Tuesday, and all these guys are like, Joel Beerman's here. I'm like, you guys are doing the same thing over the, over this guy that you were making fun of me for yesterday. Yeah, I know. These guys loved listening to him, and for good reason. He's he's a very he's he's a very elegant speaker. He's very energetic. He's got a lot to say. He doesn't he doesn't shy away from the BS. And and one of the things though that that he said was because we were talking specifically about proposal three, which we just mentioned. He said, if we're, you know, we're combating and we're fighting, we're resisting, we're doing all the things that we're called to do. But at the end of the day, we have to understand that eventually what's going to happen, whether you like it or not, Prop 3 is going to pass. And eventually what's going to happen is all of this, all these satanic things that we are, that we've been fighting against, that we've been resisting, eventually they are going to pass. And we have to be willing to speak boldly within the changing culture because we cannot stop it from changing. So we had three speakers. I kind of got the feeling from one or two of them, we could still win this battle, which I didn't believe. And from the other, I got the feeling. Which you didn't believe? We're go- yeah. We're going down. It's how we're going to go down is the point. And I think, well, actually, I believe that one. But um, if you know you're going down, how do you react to that? I think that's the right. the word, the, the, the message behind that word, acedia. Do we just roll over and get trampled, right. or do we stand up for what we believe and then let them trample us? Right. Well, I think that I think that you know when we were bringing this up, you brought up the conference and kind of bringing this back full circle. One of the things that I think I noticed, and I know you've noticed this, and we've been noticing this for years, uh, there is a sense of apathy. There is a sense of I just don't care. I just don't care anymore. Nothing uh, I can say will change anything. Right. And so you do what is worse. I, I would actually argue that it's even worse than just total conformity. Um, it's kind of like, again, we are 30, now we're 31 minutes into recording. Um, they used to say this about, about Lions fans. They used to say this about Michigan fans. They used to say this about your sports teams. The, the worst thing that a sports fan can become towards his team is not angry is not sad, is not disappointed, it's apathy. One of your speakers, our speakers at the conference. I'm a Lions fan. I'm used to being, (laughs) what did he say? I'm used to being persecuted. I'm used to being a loser. I'm used to being martyred. Oh, my gosh. That was funny. I I wanted to stand up and clap when he said that. Um, Well, I wanted to stand up and say, what's wrong with you? But that's (laughs) not that. But the, the the point being is that there there comes a point with, with within sports fans, and if you if you listen to this podcast and you happen to be a sports fan, and you know this, the worst thing Detroit Detroit went through this with almost every single one of their sports teams over the last ten years. When fans stop caring, then then that's when ticket sales begin to plummet. That's when that's when the teams are and in trouble because caring fans, so much as we have no expectations of you. Right. It's it's not even it's not even it's not. So, because people, this is why, like, no I was matter super, how low you go, we expect you to be there. Right, exactly. Yeah. We just expect you to lose, and so it, or, or, but even, but even worse than that, I think is just 
we don't care if you win or lose anymore because this team is such a joke. And I think the Tigers in particular got real close to that this year. And so I was super excited on <laughs> on Alavila Day. <laughs> um, this is when they were finally pushing for the GM to be fired. People were showing up with bags on their heads and showing up with signs that said, fire this man, because it actually showed that this town still has a pulse and still cares. Because as soon as you get to a point where you don't care, you don't care who runs your team. You don't care who your who your players are. You don't care who shows up to the game. You don't care that you're being charged ten bucks for a hot dog. You don't care about those things because you just you just stopped. Hot dog for ten bucks? No, I don't <laughs> think so. Maybe one of those. Uh, maybe one of those. Uh, the Polish sausages with peppers. I don't think so either. But anyway, so I think I think apathy is is that's a that's a real scary place to be in, and and that's that's when that's when. That's when Satan works his toughest, and I think See, that's, at his core means I don't care, right? And I think that that's that's a that's ultimate weakness, and that's when Satan has you by himself, and that's when he strikes, is when you become apathetic, and that's why that's why I think when I think that's really you could make the argument that that's what uh, what is being talked about in Revelation when he's talking about being you're neither cold nor warm, right? What are you? Cold you're, or hot, yes. You're, you're lukewarm. Yep. And so I spit you out because you just don't care. And so that that's why that's why that's so dangerous to the church. And that's what he's that's what he's warning warning against here. From the earliest times of the Christian church, Acedia, A C E D I A has been one of the deadly sins. And so the psalmist bids us serve the Lord with gladness. Even if it's tough be glad. Choose to be glad about it, that you get to serve Jesus in this manner. And that's that's tough to do. So one can have an attitude, and I'm going to give you two contrasts you can react to. Um, let's say one attitude is uh, we've already lost this. We've lost this war. We've lost this battle. Let's just roll over. Or yeah. we've lost this war. We've lost this battle. Let's fight to the bitter end. Quite different attitudes, actually. Sports teams, you you want the sport teams that fights, even though they're going to get their hand, lunch handed to them. Yeah. You want to see something yeah. from them. But uh, I think in a lot of ways the church is just, I'm going to take that word, rolled over. Yeah, I agree. Rolled over. Let's just do the best we can for as long as we can before the end. Well, I, I think that that's... Yeah, I think a lot of, particularly, I think a lot of the older churches are like that. Define older. Uh, churches that have been around for 150 years. Okay. I think of, I think of one of our congregations that that we serve at, a congregation that has a re- very rich history, uh, that used to be the premier church in this in a neighborhood. Embarrassing, isn't it? It's it is, and you look at where they where they are now, and there's a there's a core group of people that are still hungry and eager to serve, but then there's a good number that I really think it, if push comes to shove and and they were given the option to just hey just stay just run the course and be here till the money runs out glide out and and they'd be happy with that and I think that that's the I'll case that for, we can glide out of here yeah yeah, yeah. the church will close after I die that's good that's right, my goal right, right. Yeah, I've seen that in three different Detroit churches it doesn't matter as long as I get buried in this church you do my funeral. It can it can all explode after me, but keep the church alive until I. You know, it's sad. So, Tyler, why would you fight if you know the game was lost? If the score is forty-eight to three, two minutes left, football, you're on the field. 
Why even resist? Why fight? Why play? What drives the team? Why doesn't the other team just lay down and say, we've lost, let's go to the locker room? So when it, when it comes to sports, um, I put... To Christianity in a second, but why in sports, why? So I, I played on some very bad hockey teams. I played on some very good hockey teams. And I, I would actually, and I say that, and I mean what I say when I say this. I played on, I'm very grateful that I played on some really bad teams um, because we were, we had many of those games where we had guys injured and we had we took the ice in the third period and we're down seven eight nothing and it's just wh- why we don't even want to go out and play the third period why do you do it Gordy Howe and you weren't going to win right yeah. exactly exactly well maybe Gordy Howe well maybe yeah but uh, I don't so though. but the question. You know, when you say, well, why do you go fight? Why do you take the ice in the third period? Outside of, well, the fam- my mom and dad are watching me, <laughs> and they want to play. But um, That hurt in the last two minutes. Why right, are you playing? Right. I, I would actually – so I would say you're in, when it comes to sports, you're playing for your brother. You're, you're playing for the guys that are there that are still there. That's you're going answer. out and you're giving your all for the, the, the men because you're playing hockey and you're playing high school hockey, and now a lot of girls played high school hockey. So you're, you're playing for the men that are – that are suiting up next to you. You're playing for your coach who you trust. You're playing for, you know, you're playing for the fans that have stuck around with you. And through military, and thin, are you? Right? What? A military man like me would say, and there's honor. There's honor. Well, that's. Was, you're getting there, I was okay. Getting there, right? You play and, for honor. I am not laying down for well, you. Right. At the end of the day, right. At the end of the day, you, like, you play because you love the game of hockey. You play yeah. because. It's fun. You play because you love the spirit of competition. You play because this is just this is what it is. And losing is a part of the game. And so, when it comes to the church, then I think there is a sense of you're 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 fighting for your brother. You're you know you and I you and I are here. Underrate that actually. Yes. Yes, I think you and I you and I are here every single day because we want to be there for the other person. Uh, you know, we want to be there. We we understand that. That a guy like a guy like Christian, you know, in Flint doesn't have doesn't have the the strength in the in numbers that we have. A guy like Chris in Pontiac doesn't have the strength that we have. And says, "Who's got my back?" And there's nobody. Right. Exactly. Those. That's that's exactly what kind of the situation that they're in there. And so we we fight every day here for them. We fight for our volunteers that are here. We fight for the churches that that give a darn about what we're doing here. But then at the end of the day, there's that sense of, you know, we're also, we're also playing for the coach, right? Coach Jesus. Uh, we're, we're playing for our, we're, we're here because this is where God has called us to be. But then there is that sense of honor and dignity. And because, because we are captivated, our consciences, to quote Luther, our consciences are captivated by the word of God and we can do no other. And so if we're going to go down, I'm not going down because, if, if I'm going to get persecuted, it's not going to be because I rolled over on on issues and I just happened to, you know, get caught up in a bad element. If I get rolled over, it's going to be because I stood for something. Yeah, you should have you should have ducked instead of weaved that kind of thing. Right, yeah. exactly. If if I'm gonna if I'm gonna get persecuted, if I'm gonna die, then I'm gonna die because I refused to to give up any ground on God's word. But there's a sense in which the physical score is not the score for right. us. Who for us? We look at the world. My opinion. We look at the culture wars. We're dead. We're lost. We might as well just roll over. Yeah. We might as well. You do that word acedia, right. and say do whatever you're going to do. 
Yeah. Well, and that's I was having this conversation with with my wife not too long ago. Um, it's very, and I feel like you can probably you can probably attest to this. I feel like it's very it's very difficult for. I feel like I combat a lot that feeling of acedia. I feel like I combat that feeling of apathy a lot here. It's very difficult. Apathy, but I'm gonna add a word to it: despair. Yeah, it's very difficult to go home and feel positive about what we're doing here. To be frank, and we don't, you and I don't talk about that a whole lot. And this is a part of the reason why we do this podcast. Um, but everyone we talk, I know we've talked about this before. People are always coming up to us and thanking us for the work that we're doing. And my reaction, a lot of the times inside, is thanks for what? Because I don't, because I'm. It's very difficult to see what's happening here, and it's like. You know, we we're just we're we're sitting in here. You have you have how many master's degrees do you have? Two, <laughs> just one. I thought you had two. Well, yeah, I have a okay. military one. But. Okay, okay. So you have two. So you got you have a master's degree in European history. You you're an excellent scholar when it comes to when it comes to Greek and it comes to biblical history, right? I I tend to think that I'm a really good teacher preacher. I I love writing. Yes, you I'm, are. Thank you. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, and so, but like. You and I, you and I. Here's a here's one of those those brag those bragging moments, right? So we're very good at our jobs, and I'm, and I praise God that He has gifted us for that. And yet here we are trying to navigate, you know, two women that are in their fifties and sixties, and they're they can't figure out a conversation. They can't figure out how to converse and have a have a conversation to resolve yeah. conflict. What? Very Christian, allegedly very allegedly Christian, Christian women, women and yeah. they're and they're calling each other all kinds of names and wondering and asking coming to us and to complain and to about each other. Yeah, complain about each other. And I was I was going to say another word, but I can't. Yeah, so, you can't. Um, but it was just well, you can. But don't. those are but like those are the things. Like we went to seminary, we put a lot of time and effort into our studies, and this is what we're dealing with on a regular basis, and that's so hard. To, to go home at night and feel positive about the things that, that we've been doing. And so... In the rare moments when somebody comes back and says, God used you to change my life. Right, and that's what I was... don't happen often enough, but in my opinion, but they happen often enough to keep us going. Right, and that's, I think, and I think God does it on purpose. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's cool when he, when he, when he says it. It's kind of like, you know, when your team is, when your team is fighting, right, your team's down eight, eight nothing, with that one player that <laughs> that maybe doesn't score any goals happens to get a goal near the end of the game there and everyone's excited and even though you may have lost 10 to 1 that one goal was scored by the kid that doesn't that doesn't get to that doesn't get yeah. to play very often and i guess my point was there's a there's a worldly score but then there's a spiritual score and so uh, it looks like we're losing when in fact christ is winning yeah right hard to see because yeah, the, sure. the the world is right in our eyes, and we're looking at addicts and alcoholics and homeless, crazy people and, you know, and homeless. People, right. And I'm I'm saying crazily in in not in a negative sense, but in the in the sense that mentally they Ill. don't know who Very they mentally. are or what right. they're saying, or nor are they able to actually manage their lives. Right. Um, and here they are, right in our midst. Um, Jesus loves them, and we must love them. But that. Danger of apathy, despair. Uh, some pastors lean towards apathy, and others lean towards despair. Mm -hmm. I can't do anything, so why should I care? Um, we've already lost, so let's try to protect what's left. Yeah, um, is not what Christ has called us to. Right, right. So, 
then he goes on and says, so we serve the Lord with gladness. <laughs> right, yeah. So he says, our life is is given to us for this, and for this reason we should hold to it still. The joy does not only belong to our call home at death, but also to the life that we are living now, a joy that no one can take from us. In this joy, we are united with those who have been killed, not in sorrow. How can we help those who have become joyless and without courage if we are not ourselves bearers of courage and joy? What do you make? So, <laughs> what do you make of that? I'm just going to interpret. How can you come along someone who is either in despair or apathy? The actual, the actual on the ground difference is zero. I can't do anything. Why try? Everything I would do will fail. How do you come alongside somebody like that and lift them up um, and encourage them to make one more effort, even when you know the effort, in worldly terms, that effort will fail? Not in godly terms, but in worldly terms. It will fail, but get up off the fl- football or something like that. Get off the floor. You know, if they get knock you down, get up and right. let them knock you down again. But get up. You have to get up. Right. Sort of thing. Yeah, and sometimes you need sometimes you need a brother to help lift you up. And, but maybe sometimes li- physically lift you to lift, your feet. Right. Yeah, do that. Stand whole, you up and say, "Ready? <laughs> right. They're going to hit you again." <laughs> right. Uh, yes. Boy, after uh, a while, I think the quarterback would just lie in the fetal position. On them. Yeah, I know. <laughs> maybe a Detroit quarterback just lie back there in the fetal position and let them run over you. Right. Exactly. Every time I stand up, they sack me. Right. But, yeah. Um, and so he says, what is, what is meant is not something artificially worked up or demanded of us, but a gift freely given. Joy dwells in God and comes from him, possessing spirit, soul, and body. Once this joy has grasped a person, it grows and carries him away. It throws open the closed doors. There is a joy that he knows nothing of the heart's pain or need or anxiety, but he does it last and it can only drug one for a moment. I might interpret that as, if I were to tell you, get off the floor, one more effort, this time, this time you'll get it. Yeah. Of course, they floor you. Right. <laughs> then you get a but for that moment, time, you stood up there and said, this, this time yeah. I'm going to make the touchdown pass. Right. That's very fleeting, very ephemeral. Yeah. Uh, that's not why, not why Christ calls you to stand. Um, I think that's what he meant by that, by mm-hmm. that session, but... Why wasn't Christ filled with apathy or despair or, don't give me the easy answer, he knew the end from the beginning. (laughs) But what he was going through, why wouldn't any normal, fully man, fully God, why wouldn't any fully man say, this isn't worth it, they're not worth it, Mm. oh my Lord, not to break the second commandment, why am I Mm. doing this? There. (laughs) Well... I was. I'm glad that you defined the terms because I was going to say I don't. I don't think that. I mean, who are we to say that he didn't go through despair? He certainly went through despair. I mean, he weeps over Jerusalem. He cries out, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" I mean, he. All the Psalms are filled with with prayers that were on Christ's lips of despair. So I certainly think that he was that he did that he did despair. He did weep. He did struggle. He did do those things. But I also, when you said apathy. Why didn't he just say they're not worth it? Why did he not say to the Pharisees? That's true, right? We are not worth right. it. Well, it is true. We are not worth it. But why didn't he just say, you know what, this is pointless? 
Why, why after, why after numerous attempts uh, to to preach to the to the Pharisees? Why after, uh, you know, sign after sign after sign after sign after sign after sign and more demands for signs? Why did he just say, you know what? <laughs> why did he just say, screw this? I'm done. This I've I've done enough. I've done everything that I've done. If they don't believe me by now, they're not going to. That's true. And so. So why didn't he do that? I don't know if I have an answer for that, other than Jesus is perfect, and we're not. That's the only answer that that, that I, despair and apathy is a result of I hate to contribute to your sin. sports mania and your idolatry of sports, but <laughs> the score on the scoreboard ain't the score. Yeah, Hebrews twelve. For the joy set before, he endured everything he endured because he knew. What we did not know. You just said you can't use that answer. <laughs> what? You just said you can't use that. He knew what was going to happen. Well, we can't use it. He knew. He knew. Okay. He knew how this was going to end. Therefore, he persevered. Our problem. Our problem is we don't know how it's going. Well, we should know. We don't know in the worldly term how. You know, if I stand up one more time, I'm going to get knocked down. Answer: Yes. Yeah. Um, is this going to achieve anything? Apparently not. Yeah. So that drives us to despair, but Jesus stands up for the joy set before him because he was able to see the end from the beginning. We should be able, from God's word, we should also see the end from the beginning, even when it doesn't feel like we're winning. You know, we're lying there and there's 900 pounds of Packers meat lying on top of us, smashed us to the ground, you know, we think, I don't even know if I can get up, when in fact, maybe I shouldn't push that out. In hmm. fact, we have already won the game. Yeah. Doesn't feel like it. Sure doesn't seem like it. But that's why we should not have despair, any more than Jesus had despair. Yeah. I think I think the other part, too, is that, I mean, Bonhoeffer seems to, seems to say that apathy is a deadly sin. And at the end of the day, Christ Jesus had no sin. And so he didn't have sinful feelings. He didn't have thoughts like this. He didn't give up on anybody because that would have that that would have qualified as a sin. And so having those kinds of thoughts about somebody, they're not worth it. I give up. I mean, that's mm. that's that we, can contradicts. His we have no idea how infectious those ideas are. Oh, yeah. When I have apathy. When I have despair, it's not me. I'm spreading that all around me. Everybody in contact with me is seeing my despair, and then that leads them to despair. Right. That leads to, you know, it's like a wave effect of of trouble. And so. Right. So he says, the joy of God has been through the poverty of the manger and the affliction of the cross. I love I love that juxtaposition. The poverty of the manger and the affliction of the cross. Therefore, it is indestructible and irrefutable. It does not deny affliction when it was there, but it finds in the very midst of distress that God is there. It does not argue that sin is not grievous, but in that very place of sin is found forgiveness. It looks death in the face, and it is just where it finds life. I love that. <laughs> so, yeah, the poverty of the manger, what a great start to life. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. And the affliction of the, what a great ending to life, the affliction of the cross. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wait, you mean Jesus didn't live his best life? Um, well, yeah, I guess I would buy into that. No, he didn't. Yes, no, he did, li- but no, he didn't. Right. It, his life, in, according to earthly terms, sucked. <laughs> It was. He was homeless. 
he had to he had to travel around with twelve dudes that were always skeptical of him. Uh, he was hated, and then he died. Then he was killed. Like basically at midlife. Who yeah. doesn't want that? Life? Well, I want to sign up for that. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. No, thank you. So it's just it's just I love it. It's just. I, it just that that paragraph right there at one at the top of page one hundred nine is just so it's so good, and the joy of God has been through the poverty of the major, the affliction of the cross, and it is indestructible and irrefutable. So, because of what God has gone through, because of that, because of the joy that was set before Him, you can't say, "No, I don't have joy. I can't serve with gladness," because Jesus literally was crucified and experienced the total de- depravity of the cross and he said it was for joy that he did that it goes so, on it goes on to say here just i'm, I'm kind of condensing it but yeah in the midst of affliction guess who we find christ not in the mix of not he doesn't say this but i'm saying it. not in the mix of prosperity not in the mi- midst of success not in the midst of um what the world would term as a, a, a valuable life, that's not where we find Christ. We find Christ really in the midst of suffering. Right. And um, that's tough for us to accept. But right. why is it that we can't find Christ in prosperity? Question <laughs> to you. Um, We're not looking. Well, the, <laughs> right. Well, that's that's it, too. You're not looking for him. But God, God has made it clear how how He's going to how He's going to reveal Himself to us. He ultimately reveals Himself in the cross, in suffering, and the ultimate call to follow Christ. Dietrich says as much in cost of discipleship is to bid Him and come and die. It's not that's it's not to you know Jesus doesn't say come and follow me and you will and you will be blessed. Uh, you will be blessed in the sense that you'll be in the presence of Jesus and you have eternal life and salvation and forgiveness. But you're also going to be hated, and so it's because the work and the teachings and the person of Jesus is so contrary to the things of this world. When He pulls you out of this world, then you're going to suffer because it's because you're going against the grain. And and there was a there was a great oh he so Jesus makes you alive, He kills you and makes you alive, right? He 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 uses God's word to kill you and then to resurrect you. Some versions say slays you. but yeah. Slays you, right. The double-edged sword of the word. But he also, so there was one of the quotes from the conference, maybe I don't know if you remember this, but he said that, because I think he quoted, he quotes, uh, it was either Spurgeon or Chesterton, I don't remember which one it was, but he said something along the lines of, dead things flow with the stream and alive things swim upstream. And so because you are swimming upstream, because you are made alive in Christ, you are going to be swimming upstream. You're going to be swimming against the current. And if you're going uh, going with the current, it's because you're just not trying or you've just completely given in. And so the current just sweeps you away. And so Christ is found in suffering because I don't think there's any other way to find Jesus. Does that make sense? Trap you here. I'm good at entrapping people. You're about to be entrapped. So in what way or sense do many of our churches slash pastors go with the flow? (laughs) You should have seen that coming. Eight eight, eight and a half, almost nine years, you should have seen that coming. What topics, what areas do we go with the flow as a church? Uh, Well, recently? 
We don't officially say, but we turn a blind eye to whatever. Fill in the blank. I, I mean, I've done a lot of counseling, and I've had it a couple of... No, I'm not had, asking about you personally, ju- just generically. Just, we as the church. Well, I think we turn as, away... We turn as away. we deal with the culture, how to, in what ways do we go with the flow of the culture? Well, the last, the last two and a half years... Right. This is this is here. You guys have all heard my COVID my COVID spins. So the last two and a half years, we the church just went with whatever the government told you to do. Right. So that's that's number one for me. But I also think that, you know, there's been a sense of embracing various wokeisms, which we've talked about before on the podcast. Right. We've talked about um, how how our circuit, you know, embraced embraced the the worship of of the you know martyrs the martyrs of saint george floyd i mean those are the kinds of things that that i think churches just kind of go with and and we took we took the ideas of we took the ideas of racism in the church which are very much still alive and not, neither one of us are saying that it's gone but what what the church did was exactly what the media did the media tells you that because you're white, you are inherently racist. And so the church decides, oh, well, since the since we and the church, as the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, are, what, 98% white, 99% white, that we have to have a series to condemn our own racism because we are white. That's a very cultural, cultural, just go with the flow kind of move. And 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 certainly you can take that and, and address real issues, but very much over over those last couple of years, it very much felt just, well, the world is doing this, so we have to go with it. We also turn a blind eye to to various sexual sins. We're very quick to point out the sins of the LGBTQ community because it's easy and it's in your face, but we refuse to talk about you know men looking at, at other at other women lustfully. We refuse to acknowledge the couple that the pastor knows comes to church and they're living together. And they're coming to the Lord's Supper, like we we re- been together, yes, I right, know. exactly. And we turn we turn blind eyes to that all the time because we don't want the conflict, we don't want to bring it up, we don't want to have that awkward conversation because they might leave our church, right? We 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 embrace different things for the sake of the gospel, and we say, well, if I embrace this sin, then maybe they'll come to Jesus through my witness. Oh. Embrace might be strong. How about tolerate? Tolerate. Okay, Ignore. Tolerate. Good. Look yeah. the other way. Sure. That's kind of what I was looking for. Yeah. There are lots of things that we condemn um, officially and then look the other way in practice. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. So maybe to, we're probably out of time, we're, right? We're he talks about, in the beginning, all of his disciples, we call them students, disciples, who have died. Part of, part of, a human reaction is how tragic that they died under these conditions for Christ. What is he saying instead of how tragic it is? He's saying how great it is. Because they've already overcome. We're in the battle. Right. It's like like the guys running the old story. I won't tell the whole story. You're running a two-mile race. The guys ahead of you have crossed the finish line. They're sitting there. They're done. (laughs) You're still struggling. You're not feeling bad for them because they're not struggling with you. You right. kind of wish you were with them. You wish they were with them, right. Yeah, that it's over. And Rem- so reminds me of what Paul says, to live as Christ, to die as gain. If yeah. I die, I get to go be <laughs> I get to go be with those who have already gone before me.
Yeah, so he's kind of saying they no longer have the problem of apathy or despair because they have, I don't want to, I'll try to be a little bit more lucid. They haven't overcome, Christ has brought them to this point of overcoming. Because of Christ, they have overcome. And therefore, they're no longer engaged in the battle of um, despair or apathy or yeah. surrender to the to the realities in quotes of our culture. Yeah. So. Oh well. So we'll conclude this way. In the face of sorrows, he writes, "This is the end of the end of uh, page one hundred nine. The face of sorrows, all the sorrows which these years have brought, many of us suffer a great deal from having our senses dulled." Recently, someone said to me, I pray every day that I shall not become insensitive to what is going on. That is a good prayer, he says. But we must be careful not to confuse our role with that of Christ. Christ endured suffering and all human guilt to the full. Indeed, he was Christ in that he suffered everything alone. Christ could suffer with people because he was able to redeem them from suffering. Bill Clinton again. Yes, you can sorry. Remember his famous guys, he said all too many times, I feel your pain. Only one who can feel your pain, according to Bonhoeffer and the Bible. Christ is the only one who can feel your pain. And he feels your pain so he can redeem you from that pain, is what he says. It's only Christ. I think that's what Bonhoeffer is saying. I can't, I can come alongside you, I can encourage you, but I can't suffer with you. Only Christ has suffered with you. He says he has the power to suffer with his people because of his love and his power to redeem. Yeah. And so this is how he concludes, and I, I actually really like this. He says, we are not called upon to burden ourselves with the sorrows of the whole world. We ourselves cannot suffer with others because we cannot redeem them. The desire to suffer with others in our own strength must be suppressed. We are only called to look with a fullness of joy upon the one who really suffers with them and becomes their redeemer. We may joyfully believe that there was and there is one whom no human suffering and no human sin is strange, and who in the profoundest love has achieved our redemption. It is such joy in Christ the Redeemer that alone protects us from the dulling of our senses, but by that constant experience of human suffering and also from accepting as inevitable the suffering in the spirit of resignation. And then he quotes the end of the psalm, says, For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And so I just think that's a that's a great reminder for us. We There is a sense that we do suffer with others. You bear the burdens of others. Commanded to bear the burdens of others. We yes, commanded to, to bear the burdens of others. But we're also not, I, we're, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling the hunger from, from the people that are here. I embrace it and I help them shoulder that, but I don't know what that's like. But there is one that does, and it's Jesus, who when he feels that so that he can redeem you from that. And so, and that love for you endures forever. So thank you, listener, for enduring with us for one, for 100 episodes. Uh, we are we just started the conversation in the last couple of weeks about what the future looks like for this podcast. We're probably going to continue with Dietrich for a couple more episodes, um, but then we're kind of throwing some ideas about some other things. Uh, we <laughs> he wants to talk about <laughs> no chat why why gk T- chesterton is not a loser maybe that's a conversation for uh for the rest of the round right so anyway uh so we'll keep everyone updated for that this episode will drop uh right before or the, 
we a couple weeks and a half before Reformation. And so we'll probably have a, a Reformation episode, things like that. And so uh, we're back in the saddle recording these episodes on the weekly. And so we pray that they are uh, they are helpful for you. As always, please reach out to us. Uh, let us know. I've had a couple people reach out through the Facebook page and all that good stuff. Uh, so grateful for each and every one of you that listen and have a great week. Have a great week in Christ, suffering alongside of your brothers for the joy, for the joy of the Lord. Just make sure you serve the Lord in gladness. What? No apathy, no despair is what Pastor Jim is yelling in my ears. <laughs> no apathy, no despair. So have a great week, everybody. We will chat with you soon. If no one has told you yet, God loves you, and so do we. Take care.